back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros, of course. I'm your co-host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazney Lambray, joined as always by my brother, my partner, my compatriot, here on the West Coast, Los Angeles, sunny L.A. Yes, we're killing it. It's Nando Vila on the West Side. What's good, brother? Good to be back. Good to be back. I spent a week on the East Coast. It's good to be back on the Left Coast. I hear that. On today's show, we have a few... Um, I, I'm I'm really excited about today's show. <laughs> uh, this is this is this is a, a, a woke bros big dog right here. Uh, yeah. But first, man, just a little house cleaning, please. This is that time of the year where we have to come hat in hand and beg you guys, the listeners, the viewers, to support what we do here at Count the Dings. Um, honestly, the support of the Patreon is how we're able to bring you all of this amazing content. Uh, you know, I get messages all the time about this show specifically, man, and um, what people get out of it, how much they enjoy it, which makes me proud, obviously. It's um, it's my favorite thing that I do. It just goes without saying. Uh, but anyway, we need you guys' support. Please become a Patreon member of Count the Dings. That's patreon.com backslash Count the Dings. It's basically a cup of coffee, you know, a month. If you ever get artisanal coffee, it's a cup of coffee per month to support what we do here at Count the Dings, man. Uh, we don't we try not to beg people for money, specifically in a global pandemic. So many people are struggling. But if you can, if you can find it in within your budget to spare basically about five bucks a month to, uh, you know, ensure that we could keep bringing you this amazing content, please go to patreon.com backslash count the ding. Support what we do. There's extra content on there. Uh, and uh, yeah, man, just please uh, support what we do. Thank you. Mm. Now that we got the that out of the way, on today's show, the people of Colombia have hit the streets. It started off as a sort of Tax reform revolt, which I just love the idea of that, of, you know, um, President Trump, former President Trump passing his record tax cuts for the rich and everybody hitting the streets in America. That would never happen. Didn't happen. But I just love the idea of that. Imagine if that happened. Right. If people were just like, nah, screw that. We're not going to handle. We're not going to take this. Didn't happen here, but it's happening in the Columbia. Uh, and what turned what what started off as a tax revolt has basically been a repudiation of the entire regime of Uribe. Uh, and so we're gonna get into the ins and outs of that. Le- neoliberalism run amok out in South America. Of course, we also have to <laughs> talk about Nate Cohen's latest report in the New York Times. Shouts to Nate Cohen. You know he's a data analyst. I know a lot of people don't like the data nerds in politics. I happen to not mind. He's not making any sort of grand declarations about anything. He's just like, look, we used to think it was this thing that was going to happen, but now we realize it's this. And I talked about this on Wozniak, the the TYT Twitch stream last night, but demographics will not save the Democratic Party. Mm. That has kind of been the rallying cry for years now. Basically, ever since Barry, there was this idea of this multiracial, multicultural demographic. Um, non-whites were going to become the majority and the Democrats would just dominate. Just, just based off demographics alone. Racial solidarity, Nando. That's all. Yep. That's, you know, racial solidarity. That's all we need. 
Yep. We're going to get into Nate Cohen's report and break down why the Dems need to come up with a different strategy. Uh, but first, Lord have mercy, Nando. Lord, mm. Lord, Lord. Sometimes you run across some things on the internet that defy logic, defy everything I know about life itself. And I'm just like, <laughs> no, this, this has to be a joke. Like, they're, no, they're, they're trolling me. They're, no, they're, 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 this is a joke. They're kidding, right? Yeah. They're not actually doing this, right? And this time, Nando, it happens to be a recruitment video made by the CIA where they get a young brown woman to just literally spew every single woke platitude that has ever been uttered within the last five years <laughs> and basically explain why the CIA is great. Because yeah. the CIA, just by virtue of the CIA employing brown people, they're great. Yeah. That's the message of the video. That's the message. At no point do, do black sites or waterboarding or um, coups regime of change. regime yeah. change of democratically elected governments. At no point did that come up. No. Just this lady's, she, the, the sentence, I am intersectionality came out of this lady's mouth. Yeah, wait. We should before we go on. We should we should let, give some space for Rob to clip in the video because yeah, yeah. Play it's, the video. It's, you you gotta you gotta you have to listen it. to the video first. When I was seventeen, I quoted Zora Neale Hurston's "How It Feels to Be Colored Me" in my college application essay. The line that spoke to me stated simply, "I am not tragically colored. There is no sorrow dammed up in my soul nor lurking behind my eyes. I do not mind at all." At 17, I had no idea what life would bring, but Sora's sentiment articulated so beautifully how I felt as a daughter of immigrants then and now. Nothing about me was or is tragic. I am perfectly made. I can wax eloquent on complex legal issues in English while also belting Guayaquil de mis amores in Spanish. I can change a diaper with one hand and console a crying toddler with the other. I am a woman of color. I am a mom. I am a cisgender millennial who's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I am intersectional, but my existence is not a box-checking exercise. I am a walking declaration, a woman whose inflection does not rise at the end of her sentences, suggesting that a question has been asked. I did not sneak into CIA. My employment was not and is not the result of a fluke or slip through the cracks. I earned my way in, and I earned my way up the ranks of this organization. I am educated, qualified, and competent. And sometimes I struggle. I struggle feeling like I could do more, be more to my two sons. And I struggle leaving the office when I feel there's so much more to do. I used to struggle with imposter syndrome, but at 36, I refuse to internalize misguided patriarchal ideas of what a woman can or should be. I am tired of feeling like I'm supposed to apologize for the space I occupy rather than intoxicate people with my effort, my brilliance. I am proud of me, full stop. My parents left everything they knew and loved to expose me to opportunities they never had. Because of them, I stand here today a proud first-generation Latina and officer at CIA. I am unapologetically me. I want you to be unapologetically you, whoever you are. Know your worth. Command your space. Mija, you're worth it. 
this is this is it. This is um, this is how the power structure has effectively co-opted the concept of wokeness. It's just yeah. nothing. I don't know nothing about how much she gets paid. <laughs> I don't know nothing about what's the Benny's package. I don't like, first of all, just like what it means to work there. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing about that. And then, of course, of course, the CIA could never actually advertise what their core values as a freaking organization are. Their mission as far as what they actually do. What do you do when you go to work, lady, besides be brown and intersectional? What is your job yeah. at the CIA? It never comes up. Yeah, we we've joked about in the past the concept of woke imperialism, yes. which is a thing that is very real. And it just, you know, and we always we always kind of are um, skeptical of a lot of this woke language, because I think from my perspective, it is so um, focused on the on the individual. Mm -hmm. Right. It is focused on your own kind of experience in the world as an individual, not as the part of a collective, that it becomes so easy for multinational CEOs, uh, you know, from major corporations, which are doing all kinds of evil all over the world to adopt this kind of uh, language. Um, it comes very easy for now the CIA to adopt this kind of language. I mean, it's like, Hold I don't on, know what my now. favorite Can you line come is. Back? Can you come yeah. back to... Why the problem with focusing on the individual as opposed to the whole becomes problematic? Well, because if we focus on ourselves as individuals, it undermines solidarity. Exactly. Right? Um, exactly. It, and and that's what a lot of that's what the effect of a lot of this kind of woke discourse has been is to undermine solidarity between um, different groups of people. Because um, if if everything if everything becomes hyper-racialized and if everything becomes about your own um, disabilities or anxieties or traumas or whatever, it's it's an inward focusing thing rather than a um, rather than something that builds bonds with other people and allows you to exercise your power as a collective. Right. That's the only way to really change anything is to exercise people power as a collective. But this kind of discourse about like, I mean, when she was like, I am a cisgender millennial uh, diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. What the you know, fuck like, does that mean? <laughs> what does it have to know? do with anything? Yeah. And it's like it, 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 it sort of treats us all as individual atomized people rather than as members of a society of a collective that can exercise collective power. Um, so that's kind of why I find this kind of discourse to be troubling because and it's why it's been so easily co-opted by um, these insanely powerful actors um, as a way to claim a mantle of progressive progressivism. Um, when they're just really not like, I mean, I'm sorry, but like uh, Nike, you know, Nike doing Colin Kaepernick while like doing slavery in in the third world and like sweatshops like that's that's a classic example or like <laughs> Apple, you know, um, which like does all kinds of horrible things in their factories in China. But their CEO's like, gay. Their CEO's gay. And then like, it's like they're they're progressive. So they're great. You know, like, um, and now the CIA, which is like maybe one of the most evil institutions like ever created maybe. by it's not maybe by, it's, by it's by up man. there, <laughs> yeah, um, is claiming this mantle of like progressivism by adopting this kind of radical language. I mean, this is like radical academia language. And what I find interesting is that 
this kind of language, which has been uh, basically created at elite academic institutions, right? Like this was invented by uh, people who went to Harvard and um, liberal arts colleges and mm -hmm. things like that um, in, in academic circles has become so dominant amongst that class. And because the CIA needs to recruit people from those institutions, right? Like you, you don't work at the CIA unless you went to a top university. Um, and they need to, they need to attract those people where they're like, okay, well now we got to do that to, to get these guys, to get these people. We got to start talking like we were uh, a Tumblr teen from, from 20, you know, from five years ago, uh, talking about like my lived experience, uh, as someone with imposter syndrome, you know, and whether like I can claim that as a genuine disability. <laughs> <laughs> and like that's Yo. where this kind of language is 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 so easily co-opted and that's what that's what's the problem with it whereas the 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 language of solidarity the language of class war the language of of us against gets pushed, them pushed to the side pushed to the side and that's the real that's the real thing that that is a threat to them not this kind of stuff about intersectionality and um you know uh I'm a cisgender first millennial. All, it's just like it's not a threat all, to power. First of, of course, because it further isolates you from people. Yeah, um, exactly. like it, this, this, and I say it all the time. I'm like, yo, my problem with fancy Negroes is that normal black people don't talk like this. Yeah. Do you want to be in communication and solidarity with normal black people? Then you got to stop using shit like mono, 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 what this? What's the word? <laughs> Shit, massage noir. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like what? You can't, you can't go to fucking Flatbush, Brooklyn, and talk to somebody on Newkirk Ave like that. Yeah, yeah. And and if you do, it's because you don't want to be in league with them. You just don't. You don't yeah, want to work in go concert to like a working class, uh, you know, Salvadorian guy or or Mexican guy and tell him that he's Latinx. Like he'll look at you like <laughs> you just call them like, you know, like you call them something like an insult or something. Or you're like, what did you call me? Like it's this, yeah. this language is used to further isolate. And that's the point of a comp. That's the whole point of an organization like the CIA anyway, uh, is to isolate people, is to marginalize people, is to keep the existing power structures in place. That's all they yeah. exist to do. So the idea that they would hire a brown person in service of that goal and that mission, what? why should anybody be surprised by that? You know, yeah. if, you know, if you want to tell me um, the CIA put a bunch of brown people in charge and they're no longer doing what they're doing in South America, then I'd be like, shit, maybe this works. Yeah. But we know but that's not the case. <laughs> so... The problem, the left, the left argument against the kind of liberal uh, woke discourse is that the liberal, the, in the liberal imagination, the existing power structures are fine. The only problem is that you need to diversify the people within those power structures, exactly. right? So, like, you know, the same, the, just the, the problem with CEOs is is that they're too white and male, not that they have too much power and money. Exactly. And so as long as we make more, you know, 50% female and, exactly. you know, 13% black and whatever, like that is the political goal. And that has been the political goal of a lot of the sort of uh, political class of minority groups, whether it's like, you know, the black political class or the Latino political class mm -hmm. or the Asian political class. Remember, I mean, you saw like, you know, Asian uh, lawmakers kind of 
threatening to do uh, to, you know, uh, undermine Biden if he didn't nominate an AAPI person to the cabinet mm-hmm. or whatever. Like that's their mm-hmm. that's the extent of their political imagination, whereas the left says that if you really want to help people who are black and Latino or Asian and who are oppressed is you have to change the relationship between regular people and power. power. You have to reduce inequality. You have to reduce um, (laughs) power distribution at the top. And that's that's the goal, not diversifying the existing power structure. That does nothing. You'll always find people who are willing to oppress their own people. I mean, this has been... This has been a case forever. I mean, they had, you know, the, the House Negroes in, in, you know, in the Antebellum South. This they had. Without, I mean, like, yeah, this it's is, like this it's always been that way. Sense. Yeah, it's just common sense. Candace Owens, you name it. Like, yeah, there's always going to be, uh, yes, people who are willing to oppress the class of of which they came from. That's that's not hard. It's not hard to understand, and so. That brings us to Nando, yep. Nate Cohen's report, and it's and it's it's so obvious, like what the deal is, what's going on here, right? Um, again, this rhetoric sprang out of Barry's historic win in '08, where you know the Dems were feeling themselves. It's like, yo, we ran a black dude, we 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 won, um. Rural whites, Latinx folks, black people was obviously on board. We got suburban whites. We yo, this coalition is going to be ridiculous. It's going. We're going to kill people with this coalition, and they sort of they learned all of the wrong lessons from 08. Yeah, which Barry's um campaign was slight, slightly like class based. Um, oh, it was totally was. Like, like it was in it both was a campaigns. Mess- yes, it was a message of um class politics and you know the elites messing everything up. And you know, they sent us to Iraq, they did X, Y, and Z. We need to give people health care. It was populism, you know. It wasn't this damn rainbow coalition, America's beautiful. Now nobody cares about that shit for real. Like <laughs> nobody actually gives a fuck about any of that stuff except for elite libs. Yes, that makes y'all feel warm and fuzzy as, at night. You know why? Because you all have great jobs. You all will always have great jobs. You live in great cities. The rest of your life is straight. So you start caring. You start centering this fucking, you know, this sort of esoteric shit type of shit, man. Like you, elite libs get to center that stuff because generally speaking, they have great lives. Right. But Barry was mm-hmm. speaking of something different. And that's what the that was the winning message, not this rainbow coalition nonsense that y'all want to run with. And so the Dems said, listen, the country's getting more brown. Uh, you know, sooner or later, it's gonna be majority non-white. All those non-whites are gonna love us just because we're not Republican. And it's gonna guarantee us majorities forever. Uh, And, you know, to the extent that, you know, that made any sense, the Republicans actually believed that, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and they were scared shit. When they did the postmortem, they were like, look, man, we actually um, have natural allies who are brown people. Uh, We should be going after them. But then the base was like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) They're wetbacks. Like, like that was the Republican base, you know? And so they couldn't really do it. 
That's right. I mean, I remember that what they called the the postmortem, or I think they called it the autopsy report at the time. Is this was after the 2012 election when they thought they were going to beat Barack Obama? They were like they were convinced they were going to beat him, um, and then he actually won pretty easily. Um, he didn't win by the historic margins of 2008, but he won. But he like destroyed a, Mitt Romney. Yeah, <laughs> and Mitt Romney, who is. Um, you know, had made a very, very hard turn against immigration, if you remember that, um, which was a, a newish thing for the Republican Party. George Bush ran in 2004. Pro-immigration pro reform won 50% of the Latino vote, if you think about that. George Bush won 50% of the Latino vote. Have mercy. Close to it. It's like it was like 48% or something like that. Um, Mitt Romney did a hard turn against immigration. He created that term self-deportation, if you remember. We're going to make the conditions mm -hmm. here. So mm -hmm. horrible for undocumented immigrants that they will self-deport. Um, mm -hmm. And then the Republican autopsy was, um, we need to change our tune on immigration because we need to win over Latino voters. Um, and that's how we're going to stop this bleeding that we're, you know, we're bleeding non-white voters and non-white voters are getting more and more. So you're right that both parties assumed that demographics were destiny, that the the brown people of America, the browning of America was an inevitable boon for the Democrats. Well, that did not happen <laughs> for various reasons. Trump came and went even harder against harder immigration against and it. won. And mm -hmm. then he somehow upped his margins with Latino voters the second time around um, and with black voters. Um, and I think that there's I think that there's two fundamental things that they misunderstand. One is that they assume all brown people are like the black people in America in the sense that Black people in America have a very unique shared exactly. history. Exactly. It slavery. It's yep. you know, they've been here for four hundred exactly. years. It's a it's a a, a, a deep rooted and shared um, experience um, that manifests itself politically as a more unified political block. But also, black people remember when a time when the Democratic Party actually delivered real gains for them, i.e., civil rights in nineteen sixty four. Um, black people used to vote Republican. Why? Because Lincoln freed the slaves. The Republican Party <laughs> freed the slaves. Yep. And for close to 70 years after that, they voted Republican no matter what. But then, you know, the Republican Party immediately after the Civil War got captured by business interests. They became like an incredibly pro-capitalist, pro you know, the, titan, the, the, the party of big business. And when Fr Franklin Roosevelt came along and did the New Deal, black people switched from Republicans to Democrats. That was a huge political shift um, in the 1930s. And then by the 1960s, when Democrats delivered civil rights, that completed then it would the just, black... It just completed yeah. it. And, and, you know, obviously the Southern whites who... They were poor as hell when FDR passed the New Deal. He lifted them up out of poverty, gave them dignity, yeah. union jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Social Security, you fucking name it. They were staunchly Democrat because of that. It was yeah. it was always une uneasy bedfellows, um, yeah. to be sure. But, you know, we're seeing the results of basically the Civil Rights Act. Right. <laughs> the, 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 like the, the, the right. party, the, the, the coalitions right now are... Like you can just trace it back. Of course, it starts with FDR, but the Civil Rights Act is what really was just like, no, 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 no. We're never doing this Democrats thing again down yeah. there in the South. Right. But black people vote. That's why black people vote Democrat like like 90, 90, 10 usually. But what do Latinos got to point to from Democrats? Nothing. What have what have Democrats ever done for Nothing. Latinos? Nothing. They don't have Nothing. anything like that. 
You know, they don't have no. the equivalent of their Civil Rights Act that 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 they can point to as like, a, we organized politically and we won this concrete gain from this party. Therefore, we're loyal to this party. Latinos are nowhere near as loyal to the Democratic Party as as black people are because they don't have something like that. You know, and, you know, and with black people, by the way, eventually, like as time goes on, it's going to be over for the Dems. You got to come up with something new. You got to give people <laughs> stuff to, for them to maintain their loyalty. Um, yep. But Latinos don't have that kind of loyalty, which is why even though Latinos vote Democrat, majority of Latinos vote Democrat. It's not as um, it's not as widespread in that in that it's like Latinos in New York vote Democrats at way higher margin. But Latinos in Florida and Latinos in Texas, you know, it's not just the Cuba things. Latinos in Texas, which are mostly Mexican-American, they don't vote Democrat as high in, in as big a margins as they do I in e, New York. I.E., I.E., when you surround Latinx people with white people, we know what's going to happen. <laughs> well, not just that, but it's it's more like it's more that just the, the Republican Party is dominant there. The Democratic Party is weak. The Democratic exactly. Party does nothing. So, like, people just kind of vote for you know the, the, the party that's dominant party because the and, other party's not giving them anything. And the 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 flawed the the the, the crucial flaw to um to this whole demographics or destiny thing is the the idea of the staticness of whiteness. Whiteness isn't static. I keep telling y'all this over and over and over and over again. There's nothing more fluid than whiteness. <laughs> this shit is always changing, always adjusting, always evolving. Like, you know, and again, I'll never stop giving Nando credit for uh, bringing this up to me. New York Times had another piece about the Rio Grande Valley uh, um, Republicans, about these women who are running for office, who are no longer Democrat, who are Mexican-American, et cetera, et cetera. And the lady who's running for office, her name is, uh, what is it, Peña, Peña Garza, Miss Peña Garza. She said she was called a coconut growing up, brown on the outside, white on the inside, and a self-hating Latino. Mm -hmm. That hardened her, okay? And then, Nando, we learned that what does she do? She peddles insurance. She owns a fucking insurance company yeah. um, out there. That's what she does. Petty bourgeoisie. Of course she's fucking Republican. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. Are you shitting me? It doesn't matter that Republicans are deporting people in X, Y, and Z. That's not going to happen to her. Yeah. She's good. Why the hell would she care about anti-immigration rhetoric when she's good? Yeah. And then on the other side, the Democrats offer her nothing but this sort of racial solidarity weirdness that she should feel in league with Puerto Ricans in the Bronx. And it's like, that don't even... what Make it make sense, Nando. Yeah. No, it doesn't make sense. And, you, you know, the Democrats have, have believed that all they got to do is some sort of superficial appeal to minorities on by, you know, wearing kente cloth and... Um, you know, saying, uh, saying no human being is illegal while not, if you don't offer people anything concrete, if you don't give them something, if they don't give them a victory, they'll find that rhetoric hollow and they'll eventually turn against you. You know, you have to start delivering concrete things to people. I mean, I always say this, like Trump did way better than expected amongst Latinos in Texas. He did way better expected, especially amongst Latinos in the Rio Grande Valley, which is the border, right? Hmm. Where he built the freaking wall. This this sort of symbol of his 
um, anti-immigrant rhetoric was this the wall that he built in the southern border. And wait a minute, he did better than expected with Latinos there. Why? Why How is can that, that Nando? Because it's a freaking jobs program. It's federal <laughs> money pouring into this region. You know, like it's money, it's billions of dollars to build this stupid fucking wall, but it's money coming into the region. And it's money what? giving yes. jobs. It's, you know, did so, people know? Do people? Did people think that there would be Mexicans who wouldn't try to work on the wall? Of course, like or, or border patrol, be, like or border patrol who would turn down relatively great wages, a pension, benefits. Job security, dignified work, because they're Mexican. <laughs> yeah. Are you offering me rhetoric? They're offering me tangible things. Yeah. And I'm supposed to go with rhetoric out of some idea about my own Mexican identity that I'm supposed to allow the Democratic fucking party to define for me. The Democratic Party gets to define some Mexican border patrollers' um, Mexican identity? Because what? <laughs> like, you can't tell me I'm not a good enough Mexican because I took a job on the border patrol. Motherfucker, yeah. rent dude. Yeah. Who are you? How dare you? And I actually have to be Mexican every day. So shut the hell up. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's hollow. It's stupid. It's clearly not working. Yeah, it's clearly not working. It is so obviously not working for the Dems and the numbers are bearing it out. And, you know, they're interviewing these people and, you know, you can't forget people got to people got to realize something, too, that me as a black person, I want to say, like, I've like became conscious of like how pervasive the shit is and easy to sell it is like. It's not hard to turn people anti-black in America specifically. Like, mm -hmm. it's really not that hard. And I just remember one day looking up and a friend of mine was dating an Indian person. You know, their parents were immigrants of India. The person he was dating was obviously first gen Indian American, whatever. He was like, yo, man, mind you, this is like a fancy-ass Negro. You know what I'm saying? College educated, all kinds of MBs and all of that type of shit. And he's like, yo, you know the family was like, yeah, I don't know at first. I was like, why? He said, because I'm black. And then when I looked up and I was like, yo, wait a minute. Indians don't fuck with us. Asians don't fuck with us. Clearly white people. A large group of Latinx, it's like, it's not hard to turn people against black people. And like that messaging is still pretty effective. That messaging of, I may be Mexican American, but I'm not black. It still has its seductions. It's not a different message that was sold to the poor whites of the deep South. It's yeah. the same thing. It's still pretty effective. And, you know, later on in that story, um, about the the women in in the Rio Grande who who um, are Republican or whatever. This lady was like, you know, I moved here, uh, Bracero. My my parents moved here for Bracero, work in the fields, yada yada yada. This and this and that. And you know, a lot of them were Democrat, blah blah blah. But he's like, she was like, yo, the Democrats are pitching what they're what they're dishing out is free everything and devaluing the the value of hard work. 
We know what that is. <laughs> we don't have to. That's not even dog whistle. That's like, that's a whistle whistle. You know what I'm saying? Like, we know what that yeah. rhetoric is. And that rhetoric is effective still. So you have to understand that even within, because again, and I don't exempt myself from this. And I've said this on the show before. My, my family's West, in, West Indian. You know how much anti-Black American rhetoric I've heard come out of their mouths? They're Black. So, again, when you're not offering people an alternative to this sort of racial superiority, yada, 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 you know, feed into their own sort of mythos of how great they are individually. Um, like, if you're not offering something to take them out of that, i.e. from material gains, you're going to be dead in the water. Like, on Twitch yesterday, I gave the, the, the example of Diego Luna, the Mexican actor. Yeah. Narcos, great yeah. actor. He's one of yeah. my faves. Loved him. Um, you telling me that guy's not white? <laughs> He's Mexican. He's Mexican as they come. He's a fucking white boy. Yeah. He's a white boy. So stop with this shit. This whole, you know, uh, cultural and racial solidarity is just going to be it. Cause, because cause race is the most important thing that God has ever created. As if when somebody gets evicted or they become homeless or they become addicted to drugs, that that experience happens differently to them because of their race. It's just the dumbest thing in the world, dude. Or conversely, the opposite. When somebody is able to rent a dope new apartment, you know, finally finance a whip or do whatever, as if that experience is different for somebody because they are white or they are black. It's just stupid. The things that yeah. actually matter out here, you know, somebody owning their first home, et cetera, et cetera, don't happen to people differently based on their race. And that's what everybody wants. So why are we not trying to give it to them? It's just, it's the stupidest thing in the world, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I doubt anyone will actually learn, actually in the Democratic Party will learn the lesson, you know, at least not anytime soon. Well, it feels like Biden is trying to learn it. You know, he's yeah, trying I mean, to. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Biden, you know, Biden obviously like, doesn't think too much, uh, but he <laughs> has, he has certain decent political instincts, especially like. I mean, he's like the least woke guy in the world, right? I mean, he like, like I always remember when someone asked him, like a right winger kind of ambushed him and asked him how many genders there are. And he just like had no idea how to respond. And he goes, at least three, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so he. <laughs> yeah, it is a that's answer. a great answer. But he's actually, not wrong. But uh, he. Um, <laughs> but uh, exactly. He, um, he doesn't like do the kind of th he doesn't do the Hillary Clinton um, thing of like. The hot sauce in my she, purse, the, the hot sauce you know, in my the, purse the, thing. Um, yeah. You know, the intersectionality <laughs> bullshit or anything like that. Like he, he kind of just appeals to he's like, no, let's this is right. We've got to do this. You know, like we should we should do this. We've got to help people. I don't know. Like he, he has like kind of an old school. Uh, political touch that I think do serves him pretty well um, uh, in the public's eye, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think the people who like actually um, run a lot of these political campaigns um, will learn the lesson. 
Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. Researched and developed for three years to be made for people, not patients, Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and ooh, pomegranate. Lucy also has a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine in cherry ice flavor. Each and every flavor actually tastes great and it's convenient and discreet. Products can be enjoyed anywhere, on flights, at work, on the go, even at the gym. People, it's 2021. Get rid of your cigarettes, unplug your vape, throw out your dip, and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. This is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month. It's so simple and you don't have to leave your house because Lucy has delivery down. Right now, bomb listeners. That's right. This podcast that you're listening to, the Black Opinions Matter. You guys all go to lucy.co and use promo code BOM to get 20% off all products on your first order, including gum or lozenges. That's Lucy, L-U-C-Y, dot co and use promo code bom at checkout also i have to give this disclaimer warning this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco nicotine is an addictive chemical lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code bom all right so we move on to more depressing news in colombia where Riots, protests, whatever you want to call it, the people have hit the streets because they're sick and tired of how they're being treated by the elites. Mm-hmm. Um, they they tried to pass a tax reform to to address fiscal issues, yeah. uh, you know, and it's always austerity for the poor, tax cuts for the rich. Like I don't want like. <laughs> Like, it it just like... They're taxing basic goods like milk and eggs. Milk and and eggs. Yeah. And And the wealth of the wealthiest Colombians, 100 millionaires. Nah, you're good. Colombia, Colombia is an interesting place. Colombia is a place I know well. I've been there a bunch of times. Um, I did a music video there once. I put in a concert there once. Um, Wow. I worked there. Yeah. I never knew that. Uh, yeah, I put on a Mark Can- Mark Anthony concert in Colombia. Wow! Yeah, wow! Um, I bet that was amazing. Yeah, when we're off the air, I'll, uh, when we're drunk one day, I'll have to tell you a story about J Lo uh, from that experience. But uh, oh, nice. I can't. I can't. I shan't <laughs> no, no, repeat no, no, no. It. We don't want to. We don't. No, 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 no. no. We got to keep that no. behind closed doors. <laughs> yeah, um, but um, Colombia is an interesting place. Colombia is the second most unequal country in Latin America, um, which you know is saying a lot because Latin Latin American countries are incredibly unequal. Um, And Colombia also has fought, has been in a sort of armed struggle um, for several decades. Um, It's been like 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. So between uh, a left-wing guerrilla group called the FARC um, and the government, but then the government at one point decided we're going to create these paramilitary groups, which are kind of like outside of the, you know, the, the government, it's not fair to say the government created the paramilitary groups, although there are rumors and stuff like the paramilitary groups emerged um, in rural areas, especially where landowners, big landowners 
big landowners need, wanted protection from the FARC and all that stuff. The paramilitary groups then themselves became kind of like a, these kind of unaccountable uh, side roving kind of death squads, essentially. Um, speaking of the CIA. Yeah, speaking of the CIA. <laughs> Again, a lot of, lot of rumors there, you know. Um, and uh, as such, Colombia, which was the, the, the sort of epicenter of the drug war, the, or the OG drug war, mm-hmm. right? Pablo Escobar, you've all seen Narcos, right? The, the mm-hmm. DEA was in there. Um, the CIA was in there, uh, the American state. Colombia received more aid then more Ameri- more american aid mostly military aid and arms sales than the rest of latin america combined um it was the so colombia is a very very strange place very very dominated by this kind of uh what we would call here like the national security establishment like these kind of military it's like a very militarized kind of society in in certain ways um, hugely, very, very close ally to the United States and very right wing, like in his politics, incredibly mm-hmm. right wing for the most part. Um, and uh, as such, they've implemented all kinds of uh, right wing economic reforms. There's all this inequality, you know, and and starting in the last few, in, in, you know, there's been a kind of social crisis unfolding, but obviously very uh, acutely hit by the pandemic. And there's been these massive protests against this tax, which the government tried to pass. The right wing government, a guy named Ivan Duque, um, is the president. Um, and he is the kind of political heir to a guy named Alvaro Uribe, who's like this incredibly looming force in Colombian mm-hmm. politics. He was the president that kind of most aggressively persecuted uh, the war. Um, and this guy, Ivan Duque, tried to put a tax to 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 deal with like the covid economic crisis basically on the backs of the poor um through this something called the value at, value added tax which is basically a sales tax um and um the people rose up and the people rose up and they've been they've been hitting the streets um the epicenter was in Cali um which is in the south part of the country um and uh you know you've heard of the Cali speaking cartel, of right? Pablo <laughs> yeah uh, although he was the Medellin cartel, he was Medellin. Cali, the, Cali was Cali is his rivals. The, yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So they've been rising up, and the police and the government have cracked down hard. At least twenty people have been killed. Um, I mean, some of the videos so are crazy. Fucked, man. I mean, you're seeing like execution style, like killings on the street. You know, it's popping up on social media. It's it's fucking crazy. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's ongoing. Um, it's unclear whether, like, how, you know, at, at this point, the government has kind of uh, repealed its attempts to pass this tax, although, and they said they're going to try again with, like, a new version or something. But, you know, it's unclear whether that's going to be enough for the protesters um, and whether they can actually institute a big political change in Colombia. I saw a poll that showed that the the sort of left-wing party, the, the, uh, what we would call here a, like a democratic socialist party, was actually surging in the polls as a result of all this. Um, and and it's, But it's unclear whether that's going to actually happen. Like I said, like the military establishment in Colombia. How can a left-wing, business... how can a left-wing politics, political party even ascend when the military is so dominant? Couldn't they just kill them, theoretically? They, yeah, I mean, and that kind of stuff <laughs> happens a lot in Colombia. Like if you look at the murders of trade unionists around the world. I mean, I, I remember like back in the day when I, when I was like reading a lot of Chomsky in high school, um, he, he wrote a book um, called Understanding Power. And he talked about how of all the trade unionists killed in the world, this was like back in 2004, um, 
of all the unionists, like labor union leaders and stuff killed around the world, it, like every year they would publish some list, something like three fourths of them were killed in Colombia. <laughs> That's um, crazy. You know, like it is incredibly violent uh, place in, in, and you know, we, we think of it in the United States as like violent because of like other reasons, but really it's like a, the state itself is like very, very violent um, in Colombia. So yeah, it's been a crazy situation. We've we've had some people on Twitter hitting us up to to talk about it. Um, and, uh, yeah, and as as you know, as much as it is relevant to what's going on here domestically, it's you know it's neoliberalism run amok, right? Yeah. It's this idea that the markets and capital are always doing the right thing at yeah. every turn. They're right; they can never be wrong. Um, at every turn, and even in the midst of a global pandemic, um, even in the midst of needing, <laughs> you need more social programs, not less. Um, they can't even find it in their hearts to be like, yo, elite guys, um, it's beginning to become untenable out there. And it's the shit that I say all the time that sometimes I feel like the short-sightedness of a certain type of elite. I think I think if all the elites were as forward thinking as Andrew Yang, who's like, no, I still want to be elite, but like at a certain point, <laughs> these people are gonna come kill us, like the French Revolution, bro. Like yeah. at a certain point, we, we should be trying to stop that off at the head by making ourselves look like beautiful, nice benefactors. Like, yes, let's pay for universal monthly income. Let, in the long run, it's going to help us. It's going to maintain established order, keep them at least decently happy, and we get to still run everything. Yeah. But a lot of them are so freaking greedy, bro. And just this idea that, no, we'll just crush them at every turn. It's like, bruh, that shit can only work for so long until they burn down your whole city. And then what's the point of being elite anymore? Yeah, you know, and and it feels like in Colombia they they're not heeding the Andrew Yang lesson. <laughs> There's a famous book called The Leopard that was turned into a movie with Burt Lancaster and Alan Delon and Claudia Cardinale back in the day, um, written by a guy named the Count of Lampedusa. He was a he was an Italian noble, um, and he wrote one book, and it was this book, and um, it tells a story of like a basically like a a, a people's uprising against a a small, uh, you know, it was during the the unification of Italy, which was like, saw a lot of, a lot of uprisings, um, against the landed aristocracy. And he was trying to make the point, the leopard who was the noble, the leader of the, of, of the hero of the book was trying to make the point, um, to everyone around him is like, guys, 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 we got to change everything so that everything can stay the same. That's like his famous line. You know, he's like, unless we change everything, we won't, nothing won't stay the same, you know, like and it, that's like, that's the point that you're just trying to make. It's like, we got to yes. change everything so that we can maintain our shit. You know? Yes. Because at a certain point, people are going to become fed up with this shit. Uh, and, and, you know, that's the problem that the elites, do, they just don't, they just refuse to believe that they could ever lose anything. Yeah. And I think they're foolhardy to think that maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm just a, you know, a dumb leftist idiot who believes in the power of the people. Uh, maybe I am, but I don't think so. I think at a certain point, this shit just becomes so untenable and all of the shit that makes it great to be a billionaire no longer exists yeah. because it's been burned to the fucking ground yeah. by a bunch of people that you tried to starve or beat to death. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's our show yeah, for yeah. today. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the Real Madrid Chelsea game starts in ten minutes, bro. Oh, yeah, nice. I, I gotta okay. start doing my stretching. You know, we'll get to doing that. Beautiful. Yeah. Um. Oh, that's the semifinals. Semifinal, baby. Man City is already in the final. Sorry to. Sorry to my PSG friends. Um, specifically my man Abbas. He's he's hurting right now. But um, shouts to uh Man City for making it to the finals. Pep's gonna finally do it. Uh. And yeah, we'll see. Uh, just, unless, he play, unless he comes up against Real Madrid, you know, you never know. Oh man. Lord, here we go. <laughs> here we go. We'll have to do a we'll have to do like a live Twitch viewing of the if it's Man City Real Madrid, we should do like a live Twitch viewing. That uh, would be amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, please become a Patreon at patreon.com backslash count the dings. Every single contribution helps. We really appreciate the support that you guys give to the show. Um of course, uh, you guys don't know this, but this is Rob Lopez's last day producing on Very the show. Sad. He has moved on to bigger and better things. I don't yeah. think he wants to say what his job is yet. I don't know if he's announced yet, so I'm not going to out him. But he's moved on to bigger and better things. But Yeah, he found a slightly worry. hotter girl than us. Exactly, than us. <laughs> but we'll have a new producer next week. The train is going to keep moving. Uh, Fernando Vila and Big Wise, we're out of here. Peace. Later. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.